0: Well, good morning everyone, how are we? Good to see all of you, my name's Ryan. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here for those visiting or new. Uh, it's so good to see all of you here on this Sunday uh, morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. You guys excited about the Super Bowl? We, we thought about moving the service back this afternoon, but we, we decided to keep it uh, at 10 a.m. just because of, of that. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. We're gonna jump right in where we left off last week, and that's at James chapter 1, verse 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and get those out right now. Last week, we saw that James started off his letter uh, to his readers, to those dispersed and persecuted Christians around the Roman Empire, talking about something that would have been top of mind to them, and that's the trials and the adversity and the hardship that they were facing. He jumps in at verse two, remember, and he wrote this, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials and why well the next verse explains why verse three because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete not deficient in anything and so so like the original readers we are encouraged in the face of adversity to do something that seems entirely counterintuitive and that is to count it joy when we encounter trials and, and we don't have joy in the trial itself. Our joy is in the reality that God is doing something deeper, that God is doing something greater in the midst of the trial, that through the trial, through the hardship in your life, He is making you into the image of His Son. And in those times of trials, we as followers of Jesus can treasure trials as times of spiritual transformation. And I hope, if you were with us last week, if you watched last week's message online, I hope that that word for you was a word of hope. I hope that it was a word of encouragement for you. I hope you walked away with a fresh, faith-filled vision for what God can do through hard times in your life. That as you're going through hardship, it's not God punishing you. It's not God neglecting you but God is lovingly working in and through those circumstances to do something amazing in your life. And let me tell you, I have been in ministry for 16 years and, and, and yesterday, at the, or I mean, sorry, last week at that cross, praying with so many of you, sharing in your burdens as you approached the cross last Sunday with, with, with your hardship and just going before the throne, it was an all-time highlight for me. It was amazing. I mean, God was moving last Sunday. God is moving in our church arbor. These are exciting days right now, but I hate to to burst the warm and fuzziness of all of that, but James moves on. He moves on to something else in verse 19, and so I'm gonna blame it on James right now. Let's go ahead and go there and look at what he says. He writes this. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Is there a more appropriate word for our time time right now than that? Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Man, do we need this right now or what? It's kind of comforting, it's kind of encouraging right now to know that people all the way back like 2,000 years ago were struggling with some of the very same things that we struggle with today, right? But also, like the flip side, it's a little bit discouraging to know that here we are 2,000 years later and we're still struggling with the very same stuff. I mean, today, it seems like everyone only ever wants to be heard. We want to talk, and there's increasingly little desire uh, to to, to stop and to just listen, to pause and listen. Everyone wants to tweet some hot take on the newest news story, which if you've been following in the last 24 hours are all the UFOs that have been popping up. Anyone else following that? Anyone? Just me? I'm the only crazy one in the room. Anyone who wants to talk about it after the service, I am game, all right? All right. I'm, I'm down to clown about that. That is, it's craziness right now. Or we, we want to share something profound on Facebook. We get some article, we post it. Or we want to post some sharp or witty comment that disagrees with the comment that that person posted or something like that. We just want to be heard. And listen, this is, this is the air that we breathe right now. And it's not just us. This is affecting our kids as well. They did a survey recently and they presented kids with five options. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and, and do you know what most kids in the U.S. and U.K. said they want to be out of those five options? It was a YouTuber. Yeah, a, a social media influencer. Uh, no, that's not the slide right there. There's a little there's a little slide that, that shows that most kids in the U.S. want to be YouTubers. Um, the, the, the problem is, like, you know, there were options like scientist and astronaut and all of these really useful, important things. But they chose YouTuber. And I think that nowhere is this like desire to talk and be heard more painful to see and watch than in like our news cycle and in politics, right? I was looking on YouTube, I was trying to find a video that illustrated this and as I was going through videos that would illustrate this on YouTube, I was like fearful to use any of them because I thought that what they were arguing about would actually fire some of you up too much and we would get distracted and we want to like argue about it. So by the grace of God, he led me to a video of a bunch of Canadians (laughs) arguing in French. (laughs) And so unless you are like deeply invested in Canadian politics and speak French, this next video uh, should not offend you too much. Go ahead and check this out. <coughs> 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 All right, that's good. That's enough of that. Thank you. Enough. Isn't that hilarious, though? It's nice to know that that's not just an American problem. It's not just an us problem. This is a human problem. This is a human problem. We all have this desire, this deep desire to get the last word in. Whether it's to be like some keyboard warrior on the internet or in some dispute with our spouse or our coworker, the way we live our lives often embodies the exact opposite of what we're commanded to do here in verse 19. More often than not, we are quick to speak slow to listen, quick to anger. Are we not? This is the way we are. And why are we this way? Well, I think simply put, we are this way because deep inside, we are deeply selfish people. We are deeply self-centered. We all are. You are, I am, we are all deeply self-centered. The last group trimester, a group of guys and I, we went through this study of a book called The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose for an Age of Distraction, and the purpose of this book was to get our attention off of ourselves and onto Jesus and onto others, and and we did this because we wanted to grow in Christlikeness, and in this book, the author, Justin Early, he writes this. He writes, Anger and fear have something in common. We become the center of things. We become the center of things. And so when we are focused on ourselves, when we are preoccupied with our desires and our wants, this creates and cultivates an environment of fear and an environment of anger. But Jesus wants the exact opposite for us. And Jesus himself embodies the exact opposite of that. Jesus was perhaps the most other-centered person ever and we saw this in our series a better way forward that, that anytime jesus went about his day he would stop for anyone who needed anything and he would put their needs ahead of his own and, and you see jesus he empowers us to live this way that's why he came here he empowers us to live this other centered life and not just that he models it for us He shows us how to do this, and so we are commanded here in verse 19, right off the bat, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and why? Well, we get our reason why in verse 20, look there. James writes, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness, and so our frustration Our anger, our wrath does not produce the good that God wants to see in our lives. And so when we're quick to speak, when we're quick to anger, those reactions don't come from this desire to please God. Those reactions don't come from a desire to want what God wants. 99.99999% of the time, they originate in our own selfish desires. The very same desires that we were warned against in verse 14. But you don't understand who my spouse is. Or you don't understand how cruel our boss is to us. Or or you don't get how unfair my parents are to me. And you know, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't, but what God's word seems to clearly say right here is that there is absolutely zero justification for any outbursts of anger, ever, ever. That the venting of our anger through our words and our emotional outbursts is simply not the way of a follower of Jesus. Instead, the key is to slow down, and slow our knee-jerk response to conflict when we encounter it, and patiently listen. Listen, simply put, when I feel anger rising up in me, lead with listening. When I feel anger rising up inside of me, lead through listening. When my kids were young, uh, they watched this show called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Anyone familiar with this one? Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood? For the old heads in the room, you'll remember Daniel Tiger from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He looked like this back then. Yeah, a little different. Somehow he got his own spin-off show. He must have a really good agent or something like that. And so he got his own show, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. My kids would watch this, and in one episode, um, they were teaching kids on how to slow down their reaction and control their temper and not be so angry. And for whatever reason, this little song that they taught in this show really resonated with our middle child, Miles. And so they teach this little song, and I thought it might be helpful helpful for us to, to learn it. Go ahead and check it so out. A little so two-year-old Miles is going to teach us here. One two three four, four. five. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Um, and so again, you that's for, that's for free. That's for you now. Okay, you can put that in your back pocket. You can use it later when you feel so mad. If you wanna roar, take a deep breath, and count to four or five or 20, whatever you need in the moment, and pause. If we lead with listening, instead of giving vent to our anger, I think it would help solve so, so, so many of the disagreements that we face in this life. When we lead with listening, instead of making cutting remarks, when we ask questions, instead of getting combative, I think it can open up so many doors for resolution, so many doors for peace in relationships, rather than slamming those very same doors in that person's face. When we lead with listening and, and ask questions and, and pause, it can open up so many different possibilities as we engage with that other person that we're in conflict with. Like, like, like maybe, maybe there's a backstory that I don't know. Maybe there's a backstory, I don't know. Let's say someone offends you and they hurt you in some way. One question to ask yourself is this, before you jump in and, and come in hot, is this. Is, is, is their behavior out of character for them? Is, is the thing that they did out of character for them? Because if it is, then maybe there's more to the story than you know. I mean, maybe that morning they went to Starbucks and they got their order wrong. You know, maybe something simple like that. Maybe they have a kid who's sick and that, that kid kept them up all night the night before. I uh, maybe they got some bad results at a doctor's appointment. And, and again, while that doesn't excuse the behavior, it at least provides a little context for why things went down the way they went down. And you're not gonna learn that by jumping in hot. Maybe there's a backstory. Or maybe, maybe there's missing information Maybe there's missing information. Again, maybe the other person has offended you. They've hurt you. They've done something to to, to make you feel less than. And instead of freaking out on them, you go to them patiently asking questions, and you realize that they were missing some important piece of information. Maybe they didn't know what the budget was for that thing. Maybe they thought church started at 10.15 and not 10, and that's why they got here late. maybe maybe they legitimately thought that steak was best cooked well done i don't know you know something awful like that and then, and then when we when you learned those things you learn that the offense was not so much intentional as it was inadvertent as you stop and pause and, and listen maybe there's missing information or maybe there's understanding and, and you just simply disagree uh, it's definitely possible that you've talked and there's there's just mutual like disagreement about a thing but one thing I've discovered over time, and maybe, maybe you've discovered this as well, is that that ends up kind of being like the least common thing. But even if that's the case, like all the more important to follow what God's word says here, that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Like, like maybe you have a friend who, who like unfortunately still thinks that it's pronounced jif. And we've talked about this before. But you as an enlightened intellectual, you know that it's pronounced (laughs) gif. But listen, listen, if that poor person, if that poor person sees that you're willing to humbly engage by asking questions and and by stopping and listening, uh, you will be able to build trust and rapport and you will be able to seek out good resolution that wouldn't have been possible if you came in hot, if you were freaking out. Matthew 18, 15, uh, Jesus is, is talking about conflict and he's talking about offenses, he says this, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. Uh, remember this, in the midst of conflict, the goal is not to win the argument, the goal is to win the relationship. That, that's, that's, that's the aim, it, it's to win your brother and sister in, 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 in unity and, and in peace. And all too often, in the heat of the argument, we miss that, we lose that. And so when I feel myself getting angry, lead with listening. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James goes on, he continues this main idea uh, from verse 19. In verse 21, he writes this, listen. So then put away all filth and evil excess and humbly welcome the message implanted within you which is able to save your souls. And so simply put, what James is doing here as he's continuing his main thought from verse 19 in verse 21, is he's giving us practical advice as to how we might be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And he gives us two simple steps here. And the first step here is this, that we would put away all filth and evil excess. In other words, get rid of the garbage in your life. Get rid of the garbage in your life. Looking at these two words, filth, evil, excess. The Greek word for filth here is this word um, ruparion. And this is the only time this word appears in the entire New Testament. And it can mean a variety of things. It can mean filth. It can mean pollution. It can mean defilement. And as you look at the surrounding ancient Greek literature as they use this word, more often than not, it's associated with actual like, greed, avarice, this desire for more, to get what I want. And the other word we have here is this word evil, which in our language, evil is kind of like this really generic term that can mean a bunch of different things. But in the Greek, it's this word kakios. And it can mean um, wickedness, malice, a a, a vicious disposition. And it's this idea of, of having ill will toward another person. It's this idea of, 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 of a desire to injure the other person, this word evil, this word kakios. Now I love the way that the King James translation translates this one. If anyone has a KJV out right now, they can see it. It's this word superfluity, superfluity of naughtiness. You got it? So no more of that in our lives, all right? No more superfluity of naughtiness, okay? It's over, it's over. And so what is James saying here so far? That if we wanna be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, step one is putting these things aside. It's stripping them away, it's that biblical model of of, of putting those things off. But if you're anything like me and you hear that, you're like, yeah, yeah, I get that, I I wanna put those things off, I I don't want that that, that desire to hurt the other person, I don't want that deep desire to, to get what I want, when I want it, how I want it, I wanna put those things off, but when I think, maybe you're like me in this, that when I think about what that other person did to me, when I think about what that person said to me, when I think about how that person hurt me, I can put those things off for a while, but when my mind inevitably recalls those things, I get angry again. Do you feel that way ever? And I want them to understand how they hurt me. And maybe you take it a step further, and you're like, I I want them to feel the hurt that I felt. And you find yourself trapped and stuck in this spot. Like, I get that. I get that. James gets that too, which is why he gives us a second step here. And, And the second step is actually more important than the first step. It's more important than the first step. And again, just to get a little nerdy with the Greek here, we know it's more important because that first exhortation to put those things off, it, it's, it's actually backgrounded. That's what they call it in the grammar. That term is backgrounded. And here's how we know it's backgrounded because in the original Greek, uh, that the, James uses just the simple participle is what it's called. And so that's probably more literally translated, having put those things off Then he uses an actual imperative command, which we talked about last week. James is loaded with these commands. And that means our attention, the spotlight, should be on this second step, which is to welcome or to receive or to take. This is where our attention should be. Let's read that verse again. James writes, Humbly welcome the message implanted within you. That word, the message, is is literally translated the word, logos. Logos which is able to save your souls. In other words, receive the word that brings life. If we want to be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, get rid of the garbage and receive the word that brings life. And this is so important here because what you receive and accept as truth about the world, about other people, about who you are, about who God is, is the most important thing that will influence how you live and react in this life. And we are being bombarded. We are being assaulted at every angle with different messages and words and and things claiming to be truth from friends, from coworkers, from ourselves, from the world around us. Like for instance, did you know in the 1970s, they say on average, people encountered 500 to 1600 ads per day. That seems like a lot, right? But they estimated in 2021, the average person encounters between 6,000 and 10,000 ads per day. I saw that on the internet, and so it must be true. But, But it seems like an awful lot, doesn't it? It seems like a lot. And that doesn't include the messages that we receive from coworkers, from friends, from our spouse, from our children, from from our boss, from ourselves even. Every day we are being pummeled with messages vying for priority to have the last word in your life. What God wants for you is to receive his word about you. not, Not what your friend says about you. Not what your boss says about you not what that Instagram influencer says about you, not not even what you say about you. Those messages are only important in as much as they support and line up with what God says is true, with what God's word says about you. And what does his word say about you? Simply put, his word says that you are his beloved. That's who you are. You are his beloved or as Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, puts it. That that, that you are more flawed and broken than you ever dared know. But, but at the very same time, you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. That is who you are. That is who you are. He went to great lengths because of this love to rescue you and to restore you. Romans 5.8 says this, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Listen, this is the word we are called to receive. This truth. This is the truth that should shape how we live and how we respond in this word. This is the word of power that can transform the way we interact with other people in conflict. Because when we receive this kind of love, when we receive this word of truth, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the most important, most powerful, most loving person in the world has your best interest at heart. And when you know that reality, when you have received that truth, it absolutely transforms the way you live in relationship. You are freed up in that reality to forgive other people. When you understand and receive this word in your life to be true, not just theologically, but personally in your own life, when you receive this, you're able to give grace in the face of the most grievous offenses because of this love, because of this word. Receive the word that brings life. Look at verse 22. James goes on. He he builds on this, and he begins to help us really understand what it looks like to receive this word. Verse 22, he writes, But be sure, listen now, that you live out the message, and do not merely listen to it, and so deceive yourselves. This is a warning here, a warning for all of us. Don't just listen to the message. Don't just hear this word. If you want to know that this life-saving, life-changing word has really implanted itself deep inside of you, then it demands that it be lived out in our lives. In other words, real change happens when I move from listening to the message to living it out. That's when real change happens. And I move from listening to the message to living it out. And then James gives us an illustration here in verse 23. He writes, For if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in the mirror. For he gazes at himself, and then he goes out and immediately forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener but one who lives it out he will be blessed in what he does and so what James does here is he illustrates this point with with a negative example at first and many of us are probably familiar with this example the individual goes into the mirror and, and looks at themselves and then forgets what they look like immediately upon leaving that mirror it's like going into a mirror looking at your teeth, seeing a bunch of junk there, and then walking away, not doing anything about it, and totally forgetting about it. It's like sitting week after week in a Bible study, learning all of these amazing things about who God is and God's word, and doing nothing about it. It's like coming to church Sunday after Sunday, hearing God's word preached, and then going off doing nothing with what we just listened to. That's what James is saying here. That's that's what he's getting at. Um, And and unfortunately, in our world today, we have so divorced information from action that we think all we need to do is merely just receive more and more information. There's this guy named Neil Postman, and he's a a media theorist and a cultural critic. And in a lecture once, he, he said this. Listen, I think this is really profound. He said the tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity that can be bought and sold or used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular, disconnected from usefulness. We are glutted with information, drowning in information, have no control over it, don't know what to do with it. Doesn't, is, isn't that such an apt word for our time right now? Do you know he gave this lecture in 1990? Can you imagine what he would say about our situation in 2023? So many of us are sitting in this room with the entirety of human knowledge in our pockets. And that's not a hyperbole. That's that's the reality in which we live right now. But here's the trap that so many of us are stuck in. We think, if I just get a little bit more information, if I just learn a little bit more, then I'll be set. If I just know this thing a little bit better, then I'll be able to finally take action on it. And, And maybe you find yourself getting stuck in this rut of just getting so much information and we listen to podcasts to and from on our commutes, and we watch little videos all day long, and we get home, and we read books on productivity and self-help and blog posts, and we say all I need is a little bit more, and then I'll be better. All I need is just a little bit more. I need to know it a little bit better, and then I will be able to finally put it into action. Have you ever found yourself getting stuck in that trap? I know I have, I know I have. And listen, that kind of living is foolishness and it's not just foolishness it's dangerous it's genuinely dangerous first Corinthians 8 1 says knowledge makes us feel important knowledge puffs up knowledge leads to pride but it's love that strengthens the church and that love there isn't some uh, sentiment it's not just some kind of feeling that love is is, is action It's God sending his one and only son. It's embodied in selfless, sacrificial living. It's the one who looks into the mirror and actually does something about it. That's the person that God's word says is blessed. That's the person that actually experiences spiritual transformation. Real change happens when I move from just listening to the message to living it out day after day after day that's when transformation happens. That's when change begins to happen in our lives. James wraps things up and he summarizes things in verses 26 and 27. He writes this, if someone thinks he is religious, thinks he is a good Christian, thinks he is truly authentically following Jesus, yet does not bridle his tongue, he is still quick to speak and quick to anger, and so, listen, deceives his heart His religion, his followership of Jesus, his apprenticeship to Jesus is futile. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, and then he spells it out, to care for orphans and widows in their adversity and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That is a perfect summary of what James is getting at here in verses 19 through 27. First, he gives us a warning. He says, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but you can't control your tongue, you're lying to yourself. The only person that you're deceiving in your followership of Jesus is yourself. God is not fooled by your fake faith. He's not. Real faith, real followership of Jesus that has been received, it has been implanted in our life, is a faith that's lived out. And it's lived out, listen, in a way that God wants it lived out. Not the way we want it to live out, but the way God wants it. And what does God want? Simply put, it's this. He wants us to take our attention off of ourselves and off of our own desires and off of our own needs and place them on other people who can't do anything in return for us that's what he wants. That's what he means when he says orphans and widows, caring for them in their adversity. God might be calling you quite literally to care for orphans and widows, but more generally speaking, that term right there is is meant to express those who can't do anything in return for you. Because isn't that what God did for us? He reached out. He sent his one and only son to change and transform our lives, to not just save us, but but to give us abundant life in the here and now. A bunch of people who can't do anything in return. He freely, graciously, generously gave that. God is asking us to model that exact same behavior here in our lives. And so we have to ask ourselves the hard question. We have to ask ourselves, what am I doing with all of the stuff that I'm learning? What am I doing with it? Am I just putting it in the hard drive and filling it up inside, or am I I living it out? You know, as I was reading through this passage and studying it and and getting ready for this talk today, I, I wondered, I wondered maybe, maybe the change and transformation that so many of us are hoping to see in our lives isn't going to come when we hear that one more sermon. It's not going to come through that like special podcast that just like makes it all click. Maybe the change that we are hoping for in our lives isn't going to come by reading that one book that person recommended or that blog post they sent us on a text thread or something like that. Maybe, maybe the change that you've been praying for and you've been hoping for and you've been fasting over, maybe that change is going to come when I make the decision to step up and step into an opportunity to serve others maybe that's when it happens maybe that opportunity isn't what i want maybe what god's calling me to isn't what i think i should be doing but maybe just maybe i should be stepping up and stepping into somewhere where i can serve and i expect nothing in return i hear at arbor Maybe God's calling you to build it into your weekly routine to stop at the grocery store and pick up food for our food pantry that we give out to families who suffer from food insecurity each and every week. Maybe God's asking you to do that. I can't do anything in return for you. And you build it into your lives to serve those people that way. Maybe God's inviting you, asking you to step up and step in and, and serve with our wonderful, beautiful children at Arbor Kids. And and spending time with them and teaching them and teaching them all of that stuff that you've been learning, you know. <laughs> and not just that, but, but sharing your time and your attention so that you would create a a, a memory, an understanding that that gathering together with God's people week after week is something to celebrate, is something to rejoice in. Maybe there's some opportunity at home or at work. I don't know what God would be calling you to, but, but here's what I know, that this word right here, it's for all of us. It's for all of us. Maybe when we start to do this when we step out and begin to serve those around us who can't do anything in return, maybe we'll begin to experience the kind of change that we've been longing for, that we will become the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. We'll be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because here's what I know in this passage in James 1:19 through 27. The answer isn't more information, it's action. It's action. So what is God calling you to do? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is humbling, that it is convicting. And God, right now, as we um, come before you, Lord, I ask that you would just grant us wisdom. You told us earlier in this, in this letter, Lord, that, that when we lack wisdom, that we should cry out to you, God. And so I pray right now for wisdom in this room. I pray that you would give us wisdom to know what to do, what step to take, Lord, I know I've been thoroughly convicted by this word this week, and I thank you for convicting me of it, God. I pray right now that you would give us faith and hope to take action on it right now. Lord, that we would not not be a people who are mere hearers of the word, but that we would be doers as well. And that as we do what we've heard, God, we would experience what the individual who looks into that mirror, the law of liberty, experiences. Freedom and blessing and transformation. God, help us as a people to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our own needs, off of our own desires, and place them on those who need your love. People who can't do anything in return, Lord. God, help us to be those kinds of people. Help us to be like your son, Father. Lord, we thank you for your son, and we thank you, God, for his grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that even though we are more broken than we ever imagined, we are more deeply loved than we ever dared hope for. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that it doesn't just save us, but it changes us. And so, God, I pray that as a people, we would step into these days, weeks, months to come as people who are changed and transformed, not merely by hearing, but by doing as well, God. We pray this all in your son's powerful name.